0: It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Pardon my bottle of water, but I almost turned into a pillar of dust this morning. God is so good. He is so wonderful. So merciful. I am so thankful and so happy to, to be able to be a Christian and to be able to proclaim my faith and to do that freely. My message that I have this morning is, I've just titled it The Other Prodigal, and it spans 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 18, and and I'm not going to attempt to read to you five chapters this morning. However, it is a very, very interesting read, and and, and I would intrigue you to read that at, at your leisure. But... We were all familiar with the prodigal parable that was given by Jesus, and that appears within Luke chapter 15. We've heard it and heard many sermons from it, but I wanna talk about a different prodigal this morning. The first prodigal, the prodigal that Jesus, in that parable, the Father represents our Heavenly Father. Perfection in being a Father. How many are fathers here this morning? How many have children? Quite a few. How many are perfect fathers? Any. I see none. No hands are raised. But even within this parable with a perfect father, there were two sons. And one son decides that he wants to take his inheritance, and he wants to leave the the, the family. He takes two-thirds of of the estate, which was—excuse me, one-third of the estate, which was granted him or his under the the law of the time— And he heads down the road, he kicks over the fence, he jumps over the boundaries, and he heads down the wrong path. Prodigals seem to do that. They seem to come to a point in their life where they say, I hate your God, I hate your mom, I hate your dad, I'm out of here, I'm doing my own thing, and I'm going to be just as different as I can be. And it's a tragic time in families. Some of us have been prodigals. Some of us have been on that path to destruction. Some of of us have kicked over those boundaries. Some of us have prodigals in our life that we are still praying for. I hope that this message doesn't come across too heavy this morning, but it comes across with a glimmer of hope, letting you know that if you are the prodigal, there is hope this morning. If you are praying for a prodigal and believing God for a prodigal, hold on to your faith, hold on to your prayers, intercede for them. Pray that God quickens their heart because there is hope this morning, hope in Jesus Christ. A prodigal is defined as one spending money or resources freely and recklessly and wastefully extravagant. A seldom used second definition of the word is less negative, more favorable, and it says having or giving something on a lavish scale. Have you ever noticed that there are differences between children, raised by the same parents, in the same home, in the same environment. Differences in personality, differences in the way that they see things, differences in the way that they respond to certain things. There are differences. Sharon and I were blessed with four children. Four of them are unique, not two of them are alike. I have nine grandchildren, nine unique personalities, nine individuals who see things from a very different perspective. I remember when my grandson Jonathan was was a tiny little guy and he would crawl up on my lap in the recliner and we would travel to different planets. We would go to the moon and we would go to Mars and when we would blast off, the recliner would shake and he loved it so much. And he told me one time, "Papa, I love your chair because my other Papa's chair doesn't go anywhere. children are different. We are all different. We are all unique. The potential for good or for evil resides within each and every one of us. We as parents, as grandparents, as influencers, whatever the title may be, need to do whatever we can to draw out the good, to encourage the good, to build a foundation under the child that they know that they have someone who loves them, someone who cherishes them, someplace that is safe. Sometimes I look at Sharon, my wife, and I tell her our time of influence is so limited. We only have a few years to shape them, to mold them. Eventually, they find themselves on their own path. And the thing which burns in my heart this morning is, are we creating strong children? Are we encouraging the right things? I remember, I'm sure my kids remember, my wife would walk down the hallway, she would hear something going on in the back bedroom and she would go in there where there was a television and she would click it off and she would say the infamous words, that's trash. And the kids still laugh about it and go on about it, but you know what? They learned what their mother did not like. There was no question in it. And if it was not approval to mother's judgment, it turned off. There are so many ways sin seeps into our homes, into our houses. And as fathers, as mothers, as grandparents, as influencers, we should be careful to seal up the cracks, to turn off the television, to turn off the computer, to turn off the music that doesn't build up, that doesn't encourage, that doesn't edify, but does just the opposite dehumanizes, disgraces, mocks. I heard a pastor say that the children of today are less likely to be talked out of their faith as they are to be mocked out of their faith. How true that is. I know when I was in college, there were people who would try to argue reason, how can you believe in God? And they would would try arguments of logic, arguments of reason. But today, how is it done? Pressure on social media, pressure from social groups, children are mocked from their faith. Absalom was the son of David, the third son of David. Absalom's grandfather was also a king. His dad is a king. His grandfather is a king. You would think this guy would have everything. Can you imagine the life that you would live if you were raised in a palace? If you had servants, if you had people who would come at your beck and call, who would take care of your very basic of needs, who would see to it that that you were properly dressed and properly fed and everything was clean and everything was taken care of, you would think that if you were raised in a family like that, that it should be perfect and it should be beautiful. Unfortunately, that was not the case. You ever notice that children who are born to parents of prominence seem to struggle in an expression of their own identities? People who are born to to wealthy or influential or famous people often have children who seem to head out on the wrong path because they're just striving to be recognized, excluded from or outside of the influence of their parents. Human nature is a very, very strange thing. Absalom born in prominence to a king of Israel, grandson of of the king of Geshur, had a a few things that was really going for him. 2 Samuel 12, 25 says, Amsalim was more handsome than any other man in Israel. And when he cut his hair, which he did once a year, it weighed 200 shekels, which is approximately five pounds, He was a man with charisma, with charm, and with profound good looks. I can't relate to that. I don't have much charisma. I don't have much charm. The good looks is pretty much uh, speaks for itself. But here is Absalom with so much potential in his life so much that was going his way, so much that God had blessed him with natural beauty, the ability to carry on conversations and to interact with people, You know, I was talking earlier about the differences that appear within children. Within our nine grandchildren, there is one grandson who has this charm and this charisma. He's very mischievous. He finds himself getting into a lot of trouble. You can see that whenever he's considering it, that that he's thinking about doing it, and he just goes ahead because he has enough charm and charisma many times to get himself out of it. When you're out to eat at a restaurant, he may want to excuse himself to go to the restroom or something, and you're looking for him, waiting for him to come back, and getting nervous, where is he, where is he, and he is in the kitchen. He has gone to the kitchen because he wants to talk to the people that work there. And he's interacting with them. Do you like your job? How do you like to fix this? Of all the things on the menu here, what is your favorite? And the people in the kitchen seem to love him. And he, they bring out extra treats and stuff for him just because of his ability, his charisma, his charm, his ability to interact with other individuals. I'M NOT THAT KIND OF GUY. I'M A NERD. SOMETIMES WHEN I REHEARSE WHAT I'M GOING TO SAY FOR COMMUNION, MY WIFE TOLD ME THE OTHER WEEK THAT IT SOUNDED LIKE A YOUNG SHELDON FUN FACT. (laughs) YOU KNOW, I CANNOT RELATE IN MANY WAYS TO Absalom, BUT HERE HE IS, A MAN OF REMARKABLE BEAUTY, But those who are of remarkable beauty oft time face remarkable temptation. There is a burden with appearance. There is a burden with talent. There is a burden that comes along with many things that we could perceive as blessings. I shared this morning that there was a friend that I had when I was in high school, and he was a remarkably good-looking guy. And whenever we would go places together, if we would go bowling or to the movies or what have you, there would inevitably be a handful of girls that would want to come around because they wanted to be noticed by him. And. It was just kind of nice having him around because I got the opportunity to visit with and talk with girls who normally would not come up and talk to a nerdy guy like me. But his beauty, his handsomeness also become the downfall of his life. It wound up costing him his life. You see, there are temptations that come along with these types of things that those of us who are mere mortals don't always comprehend or understand. But here is this man, Absalom, who has all these things going for him, but yet struggles with that. You see, Absalom had no emotional connection to his father. 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 tell us about the struggle that David had. The struggle that he had with sexual sin and immorality with Bathsheba and how to cover up his sin from Bathsheba or with Bathsheba that he had to resort to killing her husband Uriah. And how he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. And when Nathan laid out a parable before David, David was enraged. And Nathan points to David and he says, David, you are the man. A broken man. A man caught in in the trespasses of sin. His sin becomes public David pours out his heart before God and begs God for forgiveness. You can read about that in Psalms, chapter 51, where David says, "'Create within me a clean heart, O Lord.' He prays that renew to me the joy of my salvation." You see, David was forgiven by God, but the consequences of his sin still remained. The hardship that he brought upon his family through this transgression manifests within his family, within the life of Absalom. You see, when we give up the moral authority in our home, we do not possess the ability to stand and discipline our children who fall along the wrong path, who travel the wrong way. We have to live right. We have to stand right. We have to build up a hedge and hold a standard high that our children would know that we serve the living God, the one and only true God, and that so much of this influence from the world draws them away, tears them down. It happens that Absalom had a half-brother and he also had a whole sister, a sister who shared both the same, mother and father. You see, David had a, many wives and he had many concubines. So here we have his half-brother, Ammon who sees his beautiful half-sister Tamar Knows that he can't marry her because of the relationship. But desires her anyway. So you can read about the scheme of how he plots to get her into his house. To have her prepare a meal while he feigned being sick, laying in the bed. And she cooks and prepares the meal, kneads the dough so he can see her. Then he asks or orders all the servants to leave the house, and he proceeds to assault her sexually. Tamar begs for him not to. I mean, it's a terrible story. She leaves the house broken. It says as soon as he was finished, his heart was filled with more hatred towards her than he had loved for her previously. He casts her out of the house. He locks the door behind her. She finds herself out here on the street. She is broken. She is defiled. She is desolate. And along comes her brother Absalom. Absalom brings her into his house. She stays with him for two years. Two years and nothing happens. The word tells us that when David got news of it, he was angry. But it records no action that was taken. No corrective measure. No discipline towards Amon. No consoling, no building up of Tamar. No action. How can the man who wrote the Psalms, how can the man that the Word of God tells us was a man after God's own heart be a bad father? But in this circumstance, dealing with sexual immorality, the man could not stand. My son Alex asked me between services, he said, why couldn't he have just admitted to the fact that he was a broken man and said, kids, don't follow me here. Don't go down this path." Oh, if only he would have done something, but he didn't. And so this anger, this frustration, this desire for revenge festers within the heart of Absalom, and he comes up with a scheme to kill his half-brother. He. calls for a feast, bringing all David and all the brothers. David abstains from coming, saying, Oh, it would be too much for you. But the rest of the brothers show up at this feast, and Absalom told the servants, At a certain time when I give the sign, fall upon Amon and kill him. And so they did. So now... Here is Absalom, this man with so much potential, so much going for him, and he finds himself having to flee. Fortunately, he has a grandfather who is a king, and he goes and lives in the shelter and the provision of his grandfather, and he's there for a number of years. David grieves for his dead son over time becomes reconciled to it, but still misses his son Absalom. In time, there again, you need to read this story. In time, Absalom is brought back. But for two years after returning to Israel, he does not have any fellowship with the king. And so he sets David's advisors field on fire because when he had called for him and wanted him to come to, to carry the message back to David that, look, if you have anything against me, then judge me. If, if I am guilty, kill me. But I do not want to continue to live like this. By setting the man's field on fire, he gets his attention. He comes to address that issue and over time gets reconciled back with his father. Reconciliation doesn't necessarily mean resolution. The unaddressed, unforgiven sins still reside Unresolved sin breeds additional sin. I remember as a little boy, my mama told me, don't tell a lie. If you tell a lie, you'll tell three or four trying to get out of it. And against my mother's advice, I've told lies. And I've told numerous lies trying to patch up and fix the story. Resolved sin breeds additional sin. It calluses our heart. It hardens our heart. It makes us unreceptive and unresponsive. Guard your hearts. Don't let them be hardened. Don't let them be calloused. So Absalom, the charmer, back in Israel, back in Jerusalem, back in communion with his father, 2 Samuel 15, 1-6 says, After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him, a motorcade. You ever been anywhere where there's been a motorcade? I've been to Washington a lot and several times with a a couple of times with the kids I guess and it was always impressive to see these motorcycles come through with their sirens blaring and these big long cars with flags mounted on the front and the motorcade somebody important is in that car we may not know who it is but they are a person of prominence. So here is this man, this extremely good-looking guy, this guy with all this charm and all this charisma, driving the shiny new chariot, and in front of him ran 50 men who made sure that the path was clear, made sure people knew who was coming. And he is a man for the hour. And so it says, And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant of such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause may come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage, and some versions say to bow down to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He is taking away the recognition of his father as being king. Oh, if I were king, I would hear your case. I think your case has has grounds. Absalom. Absalom came up with a scheme as he gained popularity, which... He was going to take over the kingdom. And he went away feigning that he had to go to a distant place to offer a sacrifice and he took with him 200 men. And as they went along, they propagated the thing. oh, when you hear the trumpet sound, when you hear the sound of the ram's horn, you're going to know that now Absalom is king over all of Israel. And so the day come of fruition when Absalom played his hand, so to speak, so that all would know that he was claiming himself as king. David flees the palace, and he takes with him his household and leaves behind concubines to look over the palace. Absalom comes to the palace, pitches a tent on its roof, and in the presence of all of Israel, has sex with his father's concubines in order to seal the thing that there could now be no reconciliation. The die was now cast. Civil war ensued in the rebellion. Soon, over 20,000 of David's men had fallen Absalom was off riding on his beast, his mule, I think it was. And you've heard this story from a kid in Sunday school about how his hair became entangled of the branches of the mighty oak. He was entangled, the beast kept on going, and here he is suspended, helpless, hanging from a tree. David's man come, shoot him with arrows, put him to death. David loved his son. He mourned for his son. It tells us, find where this is at here. Second Samuel eighteen thirty three says, and the king was deeply moved and went to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, Why would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son? David loved his son, but he didn't correct his son. He didn't direct his son. He didn't give the proper guidance to his son. He is, he being Absalom, is a prodigal, Who didn't come home. Unresolved sin leads to further sin. Although a father might repent of his sin, his children may not. David repented of his adultery and murder and was reconciled with God but lost the moral authority to rule and govern his own family. Through his own sin, David brought judgment on his own house. 2 Samuel 2 and 11 tells us there are lessons that we should learn in judgment, there are consequences for sin. I share this message this morning. Because as I said earlier, we need to know that there is only a limited time to seek the face of God, a limited time to repent. Jesus says that no man cometh unto him except he is drawn to him by his Father. What's that mean? That means you cannot just decide one day, hey, you know what, I think I'm gonna get right. If you are thinking about getting right, it is because the Lord through the Holy Spirit is drawing on your heart and asking you to come forward for forgiveness. Genesis tells us that the Spirit of God does not always dwell with the hearts of men. What is that telling us? It's telling us that we should not scorn, nor turn away, nor take lightly those times when God is placing a call upon our hearts. Prodigals, come home. Parents of prodigals, hold fast to the faith. Don't be a hindrance to those children who wish to return. Don't set standards and bars so high that they cannot get over them. Be loving, be comforting. You can do that without underscoring the sin. God has trusted us as stewards Let us be wise stewards. You know, people don't repent because of fear of judgment. Revelation gives the illustration of how after the plagues were poured upon them, how people would gnaw their tongue, but yet never turn their face towards God, but curse him. The point here is Be sensitive to his leading. Be sensitive to his calling. Be sensitive to the work that he's doing in your life, and in the life of those who you hold in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus, and we pray that you take these simple truths and help us, God, to be the parents the grandparents, the influencers that you would have us to be. And Lord, those who are prodigal this morning, speak to their hearts. Let them know there is safe haven. Let them know there is a place of love. Let them know there is a place of rest. Let them know that there is forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Let them know that there is no sin so great that your grace and that your love cannot span. Oh, God, reach us, forgive us, lead us, and use us, Lord, for the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time today. Go with God, spread his word, Live your life. Reach out to your prodigal. Bring them in. Thank you so much. God bless you.